Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Today we will recap the week that was, including the drivers behind recent market performance. My guest will also preview what to expect with the Q2 corporate earnings season and some points of interest to be mindful of in the week ahead. Uh, joining me for the conversation this morning, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Matt Tormey, Associate Equity Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Matt, great to be with you as always. Thank you for dropping by and looking forward to our conversation. Hey, great to be with you too, Dan, and thanks for having me back. Absolutely. So plenty to cover, Matt. Though to begin, maybe we can reflect on the week that was in terms of market performance. And investors did encounter some renewed volatility in markets over the past four days. So what exactly were the drivers behind this week's market moves? Yeah, so it was a pretty disappointing week for U.S. equities as the S&P 500 traded lower in every session. And there were certainly a number of developments that leaned more towards the negative side that of market. So diving right into it, starting on Monday, we started off the week with renewed COVID-19 concerns in China after Shanghai detected its first cases of a highly infectious subvariant, which led to fears that harsher lockdowns may be imposed. Also, there was more ongoing energy uncertainty in the European Union, driven by concerns that Russia may not resume making gas shipments after maintenance is complete on the Nord Stream pipeline, which would only deepen the crisis that European consumers are already facing with higher gas bills. Turning to Tuesday, the latest NFIB small business optimism index reading fell to its lowest level since 2013, and there were signs of widespread deterioration throughout the survey. So first, the level of survey respondents that were expecting to increase CapEx fell to 23%, which is below levels that we typically see during expansions. Second, we saw economic expectations fall to a new record low as 61% of respondents expected worsening conditions ahead. And third, we received further confirmation that the job market remains tight with 50% of owners reporting job openings they could not fill in the current period. Also this week, there was a lot of movements in oil markets. So especially on Tuesday when WTI crude fell back below $100 a barrel amid rising recession risks, a potential worsening in the COVID-19 situation in China, and even foreign exchange pressure from a stronger U.S. dollar. And in addition, we also received a report from OPEC that showed that although their 2022 global oil demand forecast remained unchanged, the organization did introduce a 2023 projection that suggested slowing demand growth which was likely another driver of the fall in the oil price. On Wednesday, we received the latest Fed Beige Book and the much-anticipated June CPI print. But before turning here, let's start with a few takeaways from the Beige Book. So first, it showed a modest expansion in economic activity, but there were growing signs that demand was slowing and there were more concerns about the risk of a recession. Second, employment did rise at a moderate pace with some improvement in labor availability amid weaker demand for workers. And third, substantial price increases were reported across all districts, and most of the Fed's contacts expect pressures to persist through the rest of the year. Now, turning over to the CPI print, the headline month-over-month and year-over-year readings came in hotter than expected with year-over-year rate rising to its highest level since November of 1981. And the main takeaway from the report is that the increases in energy, shelter, and food 
accounting for 75% of the overall monthly increase. And with all three being necessities for the American consumer, budgets are being squeezed, especially for lower income households who do spend a much higher portion of their disposable income on these items. And just yesterday, more inflation data with June's PPI print coming in hotter than expected as well, although the core reading ended up being a bit softer. We also officially kicked off second quarter earnings season with a few of the major U.S. banks reporting, but I know we'll touch on this topic a little bit later. And quietly in the background, initial jobless claims missed expectations and crawled back up to its highest level since November of last year. So this is a data series we're paying close attention to again as well. And wrapping up, we don't know how markets are going to finish today, although last time I checked, futures are pointing more towards a flattish open here in a few minutes. But some of the potential drivers are June retail sales, which did come in better than expectations this morning. The Empire State Manufacturing Index increased relative to the prior month and did surprise to the upside. Later this morning, we'll get readings on industrial and manufacturing production, as well as the Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey results, which will also show if there are any changes in inflation expectations. And finally today, President Biden is scheduled to land in Saudi Arabia, where discussions about energy security, oil supply, and other topics are all set to be discussed. Well, Matt, thank you very much for that comprehensive recap. It was indeed a busy week, especially on the macro calendar. So a lot of considerations there that did move markets and influenced investor sentiment. On top of that, I know we did kick off the Q2 reporting season this week, and we've been hearing from some of the big banks in recent days. Any takeaways, Matt, from the results you've picked up on thus far? Curious as well what CIO's expectations are for this reporting season. Uh, Namely, what will you be really focused? On. Yeah, so I can start with a few takeaways from the early reporters and then finish up with what our expectations are for the second quarter earnings season. So through the close yesterday, we've only heard from 24 companies representing just 6% of the S&P 500 market cap. And it's probably fair to say results aren't off to a great start. But again, it's still very early. So, so far, roughly 60% of companies are beating sales estimates and 75% are beating earnings estimates. In aggregate, earnings are missing by almost 2%, with bank earnings from yesterday being a significant factor here, because if we exclude this sector, earnings would be beating by 2.5% in aggregate. Corporate profit growth is coming in at 5%, and again, financials are weighing down growth because of the huge benefit they realized last year through the release of loan-loss reserves. And finally, revenue growth is coming in just above 10%. So earlier in the week, we did publish our second quarter earnings preview report, and just to highlight the key points here that we'll be focused on. So first, earnings growth will continue to slow in the second quarter as headwinds in the macro environment increase, and this means that earnings beats will be lower relative to prior quarters. So in the second quarter, we're expecting high single-digit EPS growth, reflecting a 3 to 4% earnings beat. However, given the strength in oil prices that we've seen this year um, and the boost to energy sector profit, so if we exclude this sector from the calculation, it's actually likely that earnings growth will be more flattish. Second, a few of the headwinds I just mentioned do include incremental pockets of weakness, related to consumer spending, still difficult supply chains, cost pressures, and currency headwinds, all which we expect to pressure profit margins and our expectation for 10% sales growth this quarter. And third, 
We expect analysts to cut estimates throughout the course of earnings season, which will bring down the bottom-up consensus estimate for this year and next more in line with our forecast. So it does sound like investors should brace for earnings reductions in coming quarters following what has been a challenging first half of 2022. So what are CIO's expectations for earnings growth, let's say, over the next couple of quarters? Yeah, so I do think that's fair to say, Dan, based on what we've been hearing from companies so far and just overall fears of a macroeconomic slowdown. And we're already starting to see signs of this with the third quarter EPS estimate for the set of companies that have already fallen by a median of just over 1%. So for this year, we are expecting S&P 500 earnings to grow 8% to $227 per share and buy another 4% next year to $235 per share. And taking our estimates for this quarter and full year 2022 and 2023 into account, this does leave us about 4% lower than the bottom-up consensus for the second half of this year and 6% lower than consensus for 2023. So just because our earnings estimates are lower than consensus doesn't necessarily mean we're super negative on the outlook, but given where we are in the cycle and thinking about our soft landing scenario, we think it's fair to say um, that we would expect more modest earnings growth, especially next year, because if we do look at the historical relationship between the ISM manufacturing index and year-over-year earnings growth, which has been good, and we do have a chart on this in the report, but if we are expecting the index to trend towards the high 40s, which we are, then more modest earnings growth does seem appropriate. And, of course, if the U.S. economy does end up slipping into a recession, then we would likely have to reduce our estimates further because if we look at the historical data, on average, the S&P 500 EPS falls 15% from peak to trough in this scenario. Well, Matt, thank you for the clarity there. And with that in mind, looking ahead, Matt, can you remind our listeners, our clients, of how the Chief Investment Office recommends that equity investors be positioned at the moment? Of course. So within U.S. equities, we're recommending investors have a slightly defensive tilt in their positioning among sectors. And we currently have most preferred views on the energy and healthcare sectors and least preferred views on the consumer discretionary and material sectors. We're also recommending investors focus on high quality stocks, which we define as those companies with a high return on invested capital and stable operating margins, which should provide investors with exposure to companies that are more resilient and should help them navigate through the current market environment. And finally, we reiterate our longstanding preference for value stocks over growth stocks, because although value has outperformed this year, growth stocks still trade at a pretty lofty premium to value stocks. And historically, when inflation has been above 3%, value stocks have tended to outperform, even if economic growth is slowing. Well, it's helpful to have that historical context, Matt. So thank you for that and appreciate the guidance there on equity positioning. All right. So if we pivot a bit, turn focus to the week ahead, what will be taking place, Matt, that you feel investors should be mindful of? Yeah. So next week, we're going to receive a flurry of second quarter earnings reports across a number of sectors as 15% of the S&P 500 market cap is set to report. So we'll closely be following earnings releases throughout the week. But flipping over to the economic calendar, the first half of the week, there's going to be a lot of focus on housing. So starting on Monday, the NAHB housing market index release for July will give us a better sense of the state of the single-family housing market. On Tuesday, 
will receive the June data for housing starts and building permits. On Wednesday, June existing home sales data is set to hit the tape, and consensus is pointing towards a decrease here relative to the prior month. Turning to Thursday, an update on manufacturing conditions from the July Philly Fed Index release, and we'll also see the weekly initial and continuing jobless claims numbers, which have started to trend up recently. And wrapping up on Friday, we'll receive a preliminary reading for July for both the manufacturing and services market PMIs. Sounds like a busy week ahead. So, Matt, do wish you a restful weekend, though. Thank you again for dropping by UBS on air this morning, for spending some time with our clients, our listeners, recapping what was a very busy week on many fronts and for providing some insights into what investors can expect to see throughout the Q2 reporting season. Appreciate the time, the insights as always, Matt. Thank you for joining. Thanks for having me, Dan, and have a good weekend, everyone. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.